Would you turn to the 29th chapter of the prophecy of Jeremiah? For I'd like to read today from beginning at verse 4. It's kind of a New Year's beginning, New Year's sermon. And uh, preach under the title, the sermon under the title of Living in the Present Tense. I'm reading from the New American Standard, and uh, so you follow as best you can if you don't have this translation. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there, and do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. The Old Testament book that bears the name of Jeremiah spans the time of the most turbulent period in Hebrew history, and it portrays the life of one of the Old Testament's most wonderful prophetic figures. Jeremiah lived in a land that was flanked on the southwest by powerful and potentially dangerous Egypt, and on the northeast by Assyria and Babylon. And in the early years of his ministry, the shift of the political center of the world was beginning to develop for a hundred years, Assyria had been the dominant power in the world, but Assyria was beginning to decline, and Babylon was emerging and contending for world dominance. And so Jeremiah began to call on his nation to repent and turn to God, for he saw that the only hope for survival in Judah was the divine intervention of God. But the people rejected his message and they scorned this melancholy preacher of doom and they did not repent. And so when Nebuchadnezzar led an all-out invasion by Babylon into Judah, God did not intervene. And in 597, the city of Jerusalem was sieged. And when it was subdued, Nebuchadnezzar took 10,000 citizens from Jerusalem and Judah and he transported them to Babylonian exile. Among those in exile were Daniel and Ezekiel. So their writings in the Old Testament come from that Babylonian exile. 10,000 of the choice citizens of Judah in Babylonian exile. 
And it was to these people in exile that the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah was written. It was actually a letter that Jeremiah sent to these captive in exile. And there are two kinds of people there living under two philosophies of life. There were some who had never unpacked their bags. They were living for the day when they could get back to Jerusalem and return to the glory of the temple. They were living in the future. And there were some who were living in the past. All of the glory now had died when they left Jerusalem. All of their glory was a past glory. They were living in the past. And so Jeremiah penned these words and said, You folk need to get on with the business of life. You need to begin to live in the present tense. And this message is relevant to us today who stand with our faces toward a new year in perhaps the most strategic and crucial time in the history of our nation. And to us, Jeremiah would say, we need to begin to live in the present tense. In other words, he said, we need to live today and not tomorrow. It's always tomorrow, isn't it? An eminent psychologist, after interviewing thousands of people, contended, concluded that the vast majority of people are just kind of marking time with the present while they're waiting for the future. They're just kind of putting up with today while they're waiting for tomorrow. Some were waiting for children to be born. Others were waiting for children to leave home. Some were waiting for new jobs. Others were waiting for the time when they'd have no job at all, retirement. Some were waiting for life. Some were waiting for death. It's always tomorrow, isn't it? When I get the bills paid and I have a little money, I'll begin to tithe. When I have a, my children leave home and I get kind of caught up and I have a little more time, I'll assume that responsibility in God's kingdom and in God's work. It's always tomorrow. I pulled up behind the car parked on Henderson Street at a red light. It was a Cadillac Brits. That's a, what is that, $15,000 luxury car? I mean, what could be better than riding in a Cadillac Brits down Henderson Street in Cowtown? And I pulled up behind that car and it had a bumper sticker on it. I'd rather be flying. And when we're flying, we're not flying fast enough. And I was shooting in a jet from Lubbock to Denver, Colorado not long ago and I said to a man sitting beside me, isn't it fantastic? I'll be in Denver before my wife gets home. And he said, you think that's fast? Wait till next year and we'll be traveling twice that fast. And somebody told about preaching to a large group of college students and a young man came forward and surrendered to be a missionary. That's commendable, isn't it? But then he said, I want to be a missionary to the moon. It's always some other time. It's always tomorrow. Live today and not tomorrow. But how do you do that? There's a clue in our text. As a matter of fact, 
There are three suggestions in our text about how you can do it. First of all, by being who you are, where you are. Did you hear it in the text? God is saying, you're my people. I called you out of the loins of Abraham and I multiplied you to the plentifulness like sand on the sea. And I delivered you out of Egyptian bondage and I brought you into a land of promise. You're my people and I've placed you into Babylon because if Babylon's ever going to hallow my name, if Babylon's ever going to know my word, if Babylon's ever going to do my will, it'll be because of you. And there's a tremendous parallel in the, in the book of Acts and it says as it described how the church had become centralized around Jerusalem and it said and the church was scattered abroad by persecution. And the interesting thing is that the word scattered abroad there is the same word for the sower as he plants the seed in the field for the harvest. It seems to me that if this world is ever going to be evangelized. No, it seems to me that if southeastern Oklahoma is ever going to be evangelized, if revival's ever going to come in our time, it'll not be when we get a full staff of workers. It'll not be when we get new church buildings. It'll be when God's people start being God's people where they are. If God's word is ever going to be heard in Babylon, it'll have to come through God's people. And so you moved into a neighborhood next door to the loneliest person you've ever known. You're not there by accident. And so you've got a class in high school where nobody there gives a hang for God. You're not there by accident. And so you have a class at the college that's primarily international students and you don't know any of them. You're not there by accident. God has placed you here for a witness. And isn't it tragic that the mindset of the Hebrews in Babylon was this, I just can't wait until we get out of Babylon back to Judah where I can serve God I just can't wait till I get away from these pagans so I can worship God and serve Him again. Isn't that tragic? Isn't it tragic that we have retreated to the church with a Christianity that's expressed only once a week and then in the sanctuary of the building? You want to live today and not tomorrow, then you're going to have to start being who God has made you to be where you are. Secondly, we're going to have to start giving back to God what He's given us while we still have it. He said, did you notice it? Build houses and live in them and plant vineyards and eat their produce and, give, and have children and give children in marriage. Oh, listen to me, friend. Listen to this. Listen to what God is saying. Can you build a house, then build it in my name and for my glory? Can you plant a crop, then plant it in my name and for my glory? And can you have a family, 
then have a family in my name and for my glory. And when you do that, you'll find something royal in the rut of the routine. For the big question this morning concerning you and me is not what abilities do I have or what talents do I have? The big question is, does God have back the talent and the ability He has given us? I've had people tell me, Preacher, if I could sing like Shelley or like her, I'd sing all the time. If I could teach like he can teach, I'd teach. If I could lead like he can lead, I would lead. Listen, folks. God doesn't want what you don't have. He wants what you have. That's what He's concerned about. I was thrilled when I heard Jimmy uh, Allen tell about preaching a chapel service at Baylor University. And he said when they, they had an invitation, it was Revival Week at Baylor, and he gave an invitation. He said, a young woman started out down the aisle and she was crippled. She had her legs in braces and she was pulling herself along with these aluminum crutches. And he said it took a long time for her to kind of clank her way down the aisle. And when he reached, bent over to, to hear her, her decision, she spoke with a lisp and said, I always thought God wanted me to be a missionary. But any fool knows that I could never be a missionary. So I want God to know that I am committing myself to Him just as I am. Live today, not tomorrow. Give God what you have today if you can do it if you have it, if God has given it, then give it back to Him. Give back to Him what God has given you while you still have it to give. Live today, not tomorrow. How can I do it? Point three. By seeing what is happening to me from a divine perspective. Now watch this. Did you see in the text how many times he said, I sent you into Babylon. I think in the King James it's, I have caused you to be carried away into Babylon. Now I can just hear the folks in the Hebrews in Babylon saying, if we'd have had a stronger military, we wouldn't be here. Or I can hear them saying, cursed is this captivity and this bondage. And I hear them rebelling against the day they were carried away. And God just kind of slips up and taps them on the shoulders and says, You're not there because of the lack of military strength. And you're not there. This is not the worst day of your life, your captivity. It can be the best thing that ever happened to you. For I have caused you to be carried into Babylon. For in Babylon, if you begin to see things from my perspective, 
You'll be closer to me there than in Jerusalem. And you'll learn more of me there than in Jerusalem. And you'll worship and witness more in Babylon than you ever did in Judah. One of the most, one of the most tragic things in us, in our life, is that we interpret what is happening to us by our understanding of what is happening to us. And if we interpret what is happening to us by our understanding, it might be the worst day of our life, but if we begin to see it from the divine perspective, it might be the greatest thing that's ever happened. Because in Babylon, friend, you may find God as you've never found Him before. I like the statement of that man who said, one day God's going to reveal to us that the very things we revolt against are the very instruments God is using to perfect us and to mold us into Christ's likeness. The first time I preached this sermon, the most unusual thing happened. It was of God. I preached this over in North Fort Worth Baptist Church and a young man during the invitation came to the front. He told me his name. He said, I need to rededicate my life to God and I need to get into this church. He was, it was one of those days when the Spirit of God just fell on a church. When he told me his name, it just kind of rang a bell. I didn't really know who he was, but I knew I'd heard the name. When he began to tell me about himself, during the next week it just came all, it just folded out to me. When I was in England, I heard about this young man. He was pastor of a Southern Baptist church in Italy, and he was called the Southern Baptist Billy Graham of Europe. When I was in England, I heard about him. And now he was back in Fort Worth, Texas, and this was his story. He said, I got so proud and my head got so big in Italy, I got out of the will of God and I decided I'd come back to the States and form an evangelistic association and I'd go back to Europe and just win the whole world to Christ. And he said, I got back to the States and it wasn't God's will for that to be that way. And he said, I didn't get the evangelistic association formed and I didn't have a job. He said, you know what I'm doing now, preacher? He said, I'm sweeping out houses out here for a construction firm for $700 a month. And he said, when you were preaching to me about being in Babylon, he said, you were preaching directly to me. And out of that experience of his Babylon in Fort Worth, Texas, he found the Lord again. And he found the power of God in his life. About two months later, he was headed back to England with his friends. And if God is willing, with his family, and if God is willing, I'm going to be preaching for him in one of the most dynamic, growing churches in England this spring. Sometimes, folks, God finds us in our Babylon like nowhere else in the world. And so this day that may seem to you the worst day that you have ever lived in your life may be the greatest day of your life because God has something to teach you in the wilderness that He'll never teach you in the, in the promised land.
I got to hurry to the last half of that group in Babylon. They were though, that, that group was the group that was living in the past. You know that group, don't you? I hear them give their testimonies from time to time. All that God has done is has done. All that's ever happened in their life as far as God is concerned is way back sometime past. Sound like anybody you know? And I hear them give their testimonies and it just kind of screams out to me that the activity of God, the verbs of God are all in the past tense. And I want to say to them and to my own heart, isn't God doing anything in linear action in the present tense form of the Greek verb? Isn't God doing anything in your life today? Is all that you can think about, is all you know of God something you experienced yesterday? I imagine that I'm preaching to a large group of people this morning who would have to say, who would have to confess that most of what they know of God has been something way back there somewhere. Live today and not yesterday. How do you do it? Three things. Number one, by remembering or recognizing that the God of today is the same God of yesterday. He hasn't changed. He's immutable. First little church I pastored was in, out south of Fort Worth. I was in the seminary. It wasn't the first church, but my seminary church. And every summer they'd have a tabernacle revival. Now they had a beautiful, reminded me of this auditorium, beautiful air-conditioned auditorium without bugs. But they wanted to go out under the tabernacle for some reason and have their revival in the heat and bugs and traffic. And I could hear them talk for weeks prior to the tabernacle revival and all during the revival, this is what we talked about, the glorious revivals of yesterday. And sometime I got up enough nerve, I kind of sucked it up and I said, look, the God who poured out His Spirit on that tabernacle has not changed. He can pour out His Spirit on a air-conditioned church without bugs if we meet the condition we met then. He's the, he's the same. And after a Holy Spirit kind of revival in a little community called Hobbs, Texas, a lady came up to me after church and said on the last night, I thought God had forgotten us. I never thought I'd ever see it again in my lifetime. The God of yesterday is not confined to the musty pages of a history book. The God of, of the present is the same unchanging God who has blessed this church in the past. 
And if you can remember the greatest experiences you've ever had with God, you just know this, those same experiences are possible today. And if you can remember the best services you've ever seen in this church, then just remember that the same kind of things happen in the present. Amen? He's no different. We are. How do I live today and not yesterday? By recognizing that life will have its Babylons, its ups and downs. The problem with the people in Babylon was that they served God only in Judah. They served God only when it was convenient to do so. They were fair weather believers. And if you serve God only when it's easy to do it, you'll not serve Him long. And if your faith is only a fair-weather faith, it won't last long. For there are coming those Babylons in every life when a man is estranged out into some strange land alone. Here's the question I have for you this morning. Will you serve God when you're immersed in suffering? Will you serve Him then? And this is the question I have for you as you face this new year with me. Will you serve God when you're bereft of friends and you stand alone? And this is the question I have for you as we turn our back on the past. Will you serve God when God is silent? If you can't answer in the affirmative to those questions, something needs to be done in your heart today. For you'll find those times in the future when you'll be immersed in suffering and you'll be bereft of friends and God is silent. Life has its ups and downs. It has its Babylons. How can I serve God today and not yesterday? This and then I'll quit. By realizing that this may be the last day I have to serve Him. Sometime this week, I'd like for you to turn over to the 30th and 31st chapters of Jeremiah. And this is what you'll find. I'm going to break the arm of the Babylonians and I'm going to crush their power and I'm going to bring you back to Judah and Jerusalem in power and great glory. You go on and live today in Babylon because it may be the last day you will live. Three boys in a hot rod came wheeling in to a service station in a little hill town in Tennessee. True story. They were gassing up and heading out of town and they had a McKeg iced down in the back. And as they were 
gassing up at the little station, somehow, some way, the conversation, perhaps it was a Christian attendant, a man living in the little town, knew what these boys were up to. Perhaps he posed the question. I don't know how it started. But the question got started like this. What if this were the last day you would live? And one of the boys laughed and he said, if this were the last day I would live, he said, I'd go out and he said, I'd get me a, a woman and we'd head for the, for the city and we'd live it up. Another talked about something about some kind of a life of uh, time of uh, revelry. But one of the boys said, if I knew this were the last day of my life, I'd get saved. Well, that ended that conversation. When you're fixing to go out with a keg iced down on a Saturday night in Tennessee, you don't talk about getting saved. And so they crammed her in first gear and they spun out and left black marks on the road. Down the road they went. In a cloud of smoke and gravel. About 30 minutes later, past that same service station, went a siren, went an ambulance with sirens screaming. And outside of town, they found that souped-up car wrapped around a tree. And it was the last day any of them lived. How can I live today and not yesterday? by understanding that I don't have but today to live. Do I speak to anyone this morning who lives in the future? It's always tomorrow. Do I speak to somebody who lives in the past? Maybe some bitterness in the past or some glory. It's always yesterday. To you, these words must be confronted. Live in the present tense. And in a moment, we're going to ask you to do today what God wants you to do today. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we have sensed your presence in this place, the singing of the hymns, this marvelous message and song. And we know that you're here among us. And we've heard your voice today, still in small whispering to our heart. And your people have been so attentive to your word. And this gives us the assurance that your spirit is among us now to speak and to direct to convict. And now I pray, Father, that as we stand to our feet
will not quench your spirit by resisting, rebelling, but that we will respond by faith and by commitment and by repentance. And that when we finish this invitation, that your name will be glorified and honored. And every decision you have desired will have been made. We give it to you now and ask for your will to be done in Jesus' name. Now in a spirit of prayer, would you stand and our choir will sing. We invite you to come. <laughs>